Welcome, everybody. Good How morning. was your week? Was everybody good. feeling yeah, good? good. Yeah. Busy, yeah. Great. It was, yeah, it was full. <laughs> Weekend yeah. services all went well. James? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, church was great on Sunday. Oh, yeah. man. We had a wonderful time of worship and, um, yeah, the Word and good fellowship afterwards. Awesome. It was wonderful. Good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Ryan did a great job yesterday. Thanks for bringing the Word to us. And the worship team did fantastic as well. Well, we're jumping into Chapter 7, which is called The Sexual Revolution of the LGBTQ. Hmm. And so we're going to just jump right in here because now everything that we talked to talked about up until this point has sort of converged into this chapter. Hmm. And uh, he begins on page 130. He says, the first thing to note about the LGBTQ plus uh, is that its different constituent members are actually divided over the very thing upon which an outsider might assume they are agreed, the nature and status of sex. And so that kind of is what we're talking about today, the, the internal incoherence of this worldview, <clears throat> of this particular view on human sexuality, and also some of the the cultural arguments against it, hmm. like just the inconsistency hmm. uh, that we see in our own culture of it. He goes on, uh, pages 132 to 133, I'm going to read a large section here so that the people listening can get a sense of what this chapter is all about. He says, in the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels noted that as production came to be increasingly automated, and as raw physical strength therefore became less significant in the workplace, the difference between men and women would shrink. And, of course, he was right about that. Uh, anyone who has experience, he says, of different cultures knows that the roles of men and women vary across the globe. The, the American ideal of masculinity is different from that which one finds in England or South Korea. And the same goes for women. A woman in Cairo will conform to a set of cultural expectations different from those in Manhattan or Tokyo. It is therefore a relatively easy task to point out that such things as masculinity or femininity contain a large element of social construction, whereby males and females internalize the behavioral expectations of the wider host culture. That's page 133. So what aspects of the differences between men and women are culturally conditioned and what aspects are rooted in biology? And how would you draw the the line between those two categories? Hmm. So are there, as he says, uh, different standards for, say, masculinity and femininity across cultures? And where do we draw the line between those things which are culturally conditioned and those things which are biological or what we would say ontological, mm-hmm. right? That is at, that is tied to one's nature. Yeah. Great discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's a it's a really it's a difficult question. Um, well, I'm trying to think of the word you used, but I would say expression. Expressions of masculinity and femininity c- clearly have some subject, uh, subjective um, 
elements to them. And so, yeah, it is subjective in some component, but there is a line in the sand. And so the argument being made in the book, right, is, or trans ideology, because it's subjective in any part, therefore it's subjective in all parts. Yeah. And we're pushing back against that. Yeah. Right. Just because there is subjectivity doesn't mean it's pure subjectivity. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, al- right. and although these cultures might show masculinity and I can never say this word, femininity, different, yeah. uh, each culture is still recognizing that there's a difference between the two, right? For sure. So, they're sh- so they see something and they're recognizing that's masculine. They're seeing something else that, that's feminine. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's funny that you bring this up. My father-in-law was talking with him last night and he was telling me about a trip that he took my sister-in-law on, uh, he takes a, each of his kids on a trip around the age as they're entering into high school and he had partial missions, partial to expose them. And so this particular sister-in-law got to go to Russia and he was saying how, uh, it was eye opening to him that the majority of the women, when they went, uh, this would have been probably mid early two thousands, the majority of women, when they went were very well put together. And he thought just all the men looked like bum sailors, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. but Where it was Adidas. just how it, how it functioned in that culture, you know, yeah. but the oh, women yeah. were very nice. And then they'd be walking around with a guy that almost looked like a bum. And that was their significant other. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> there's a, there's a book on the history of hair that somebody was narrating on and how I'll have to read that. The, that, that sounds very interesting. Well, you're in luck. You're not <laughs> transgressing any cultural. Norms. <laughs> um, but how, uh, in the, overwhelming majority and we're not talking like 90% we're talking 99.9% of known <clears throat> cultures and his in histories uh, women have always been defined by having longer hair than men mm. right there's yeah. there's been something in every culture that is recognized so a cultural standard of longer hair yeah and then there are some exceptions where men grow long hair like the Nazarite vow sure uh, but it was to st- it was actually to point out, hey, I'm doing something that is exceptional from everybody else, it's sure. actually to say. Um, and so there, it's interesting to me that before this discussion ever arose, that transculturally, there are these, st- the, there are these standards that are attached to our femaleness and our maleness. Sure. Um, but the line figuring out what the line is. But I mean, in the first century, for example, and this would be true in some uh, staunch Arabic cultures today, um, men and women would not have been dressed that differently. Like everyone in Jesus's day would have wore some kind of what we would consider to be essentially a dress. They would just call it a tunic. Men were the only people in that culture, though, that girded their loins uh, for various uh, sort of blue-collar tasks like yeah. fishing or whatever. Um, and then they would all wear hair, head, some kind of head covering or some kind of head turban. Like men would wear a turban and women would wear some kind of covering, and no one would wear a face covering because that was considered the mark of a prostitute, right, to build yeah. your face. Mm. So, so there are these... I think there are these uh, sort of culturally conditioned standards of maleness and femaleness. For example, I think about like the way uh, people dressed in Europe a couple of hundred years ago, or maybe three or four hundred years ago, in which, to me, if if a person was walking around looking like George Washington on his finest day, they, <laughs> they would be sort of laughed at today. 
Uh, like with the silk stockings and the <laughs> more's the tragedy, <laughs> <laughs> and the and the and the ruffled fluffy shirts. Um, those guys of you might see Prince wear something like that, but in our culture, that you know Prince was famous. One of the things he was famous for was sort of an androgynous look, like some uh, uh, things that were female characteristics in our culture. Mm. And other things that were clearly male characteristics, mm. like the mustache and and the beard and whatever. Mm. Uh, so so standards do change, but what things don't change? Like what what are the things that clearly <laughs> remain the same throughout cultures? Yeah, where we would draw the line. Saying he brings up the issue of Biology. the Marxist idea of uh, the industrialization right. of America sort of wiping out the distinctions between male and female because yeah. now anybody can push a button. Anybody can pull right. a lever. Right. But in the past, only men could do the Had heavy the lifting. To do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not that women couldn't do that. It's just that if you really needed a man, uh, male strength to do yeah. something that required you that, a man. Yeah. you had to make that distinction. Mm-hmm. So where are the lines? What are the distinctions? that the culture is kind of obliterating or just blurring today. Well, I think, I mean, the most obvious one is, is, uh, the ability to, uh, carry and, yeah. And, Reproduction. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the term, uh, was it gestating people? Oh, yeah. Instead yeah. of <laughs> right, instead of women or pregnant, or pregnant people, pregnant people <laughs> instead of women. Um, so there's obviously, I mean, there's no amount of technology in my, at least that I've been able, that I that I can envision yeah. that would enable a reversal of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I mean, it's kind of obvious. I think of biology as well. You know, in yeah. regards to strength natural strength generally speaking the average guy is stronger than 90 something percent of the women sure so um and i think that ties in to the culture i think it's just funny it's it's even hard i think this is probably tying into where this book is really saying like even this discussion would make many people awkward or feel awkward today you know or feel uncomfortable sure the fact that we're saying hey there are natural distinctions and and it's good and so like you know, I would typically say I think, generally speaking, women uh, tend to care more, and they tend to have a sure. uh, an aff- I don't know the right affectionate dis- a motherly tendency, right? Sure. It's God given. I think that's good. Men, generally speaking, I think have a protective capacity. Well, right? nurturing so, is built yeah. into the biology <laughs> of a woman who breastfeeds a baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Men cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have yeah, you're right about that. So you, you look at biology; they have the obvious things like. Uh, the ability to menstruate, the ability to carry a child, the, mm-hmm. ability, the ability to do that naturally. Mm-hmm. You also look at at the genetic level or the cellular level, the XX versus XY mm-hmm. chromosome yeah. differences. And so, and you also look at things like endocrinology, yeah. uh, very dramatically di- different uh, differences, uh, dramatic differences in our endocrinology, mm-hmm. in our bone structure. Uh, there are so there are so many differences. There's so many ways in which we're so alike, but so many ways in which we're so different, and those are tied to our maleness and femaleness. 
Um, he says on page, I think it's 134 to 135. I might be wrong about that. Uh, he says, nothing reveals the problem with trans ideology more dramatically than personal testimony. Take, for example, the following words of a lesbian. <laughs> now, this is a lesbian who's pushing back on trans ideology mm -hmm. uh, with a partner who transitioned from female to, to male. So, so just to recap what's going on here, the, this is the testimony of two lesbians or one lesbian who was married to another lesbian, but then one of the lesbians decided to become a trans male, to transition into a, a so-called trans male. She says, when my partner began his gender transition, uh, my lesbian identity had been central to my life and my sense of self, uh, of self for well over a decade. And I didn't know what his transition made me. And notice that, that question. Uh, some people told me I was obviously still a lesbian, but it was just as obvious to others that I was now straight or bisexual. It wasn't obvious to me at all. And I struggled with it for a long time. Now I've been the partner of a trans man for as long as I was a lesbian, and I've gotten uh, comfortable just not having a name for what I think I am. I think of myself as part of the, the family of queers and trans people. But clearly that can't be true. Hmm. Here is a person who still considers themselves to be attracted to women, but is now in a partnership or married to a trans man, which technically makes them straight. <laughs> hmm. uh, so this is the madness of this now, hmm. is that it's, it's just internally an incoherent position to hold. Yeah. Uh, one cannot hold this point of view and be consistent in their worldview uh, beliefs. So what was her resolution to her dilemma of now technically being a straight female? To just give up on any kind of category. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Be lumped in with queer, and then that's sure. a, a broad enough category that can include whatever you want it to include. Yeah. <clears throat> a catch-all. Sort of a catch-all. Yeah. 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 The catch-all uh, sort of identity mm. now as just queer. Yeah, but then you become, if you're searching for an, a, a solid identity, you're having to res, uh, resolve yourself to having less than solid. It's even more... Sure. Uh, transient as far as a d identity for yourself you're you're receding yeah. i think that's what's really hard and tragic yeah mm. that you know who you are but then in order to keep some position and keep people happy you have to recede and to become less defined yeah 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 well now you have all these youtube videos of these lesbian um self-proclaimed lesbian feminists who are coming out against the trans movement hmm. because they've been feminists all their lives. They have been advocating for feminine rights. Yeah. And, and basically that, that ideology of feminism is based on this idea that there's this strong male patriarchy and the feminist job is to push back against this obvious and evident patriarchy. Um, but if there's no such thing as men or women and everything is now just non-binary, you can't assert yeah. that there's a patriarchy to push Good back point. on. So now you have lesbians who are feminists yeah. who are now pushing back on the trans movement saying, hey, I want them off the bus. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And not just patriarchy, but privilege. Male privilege, privilege right? The and white male privilege. Yeah. Males, males <laughs> saying that they're females included in this movement. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they're just losing their mind. Yeah. Right. And so essentially what they're doing is wiping out for, for the lesbian feminist, the radical activist feminist, uh, 
what they're doing, the trans man is wiping out all of his historic culpability as a man. He's saying, I don't have that anymore because I'm just a woman. Yeah. And that lets me in feminist to say, no, you're not. Somebody has to be punished for these sins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, someone be has to... Be the scapegoat. Yeah, yeah, be the scapegoat mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And so if men just begin to identify as women, then it absolves them of hi- what they believe from their point of view is historic uh, culpability. Mm-hmm. So then this turns into politics. This, again, this turns into political activism. So he mentions a couple of political things that have really shaped sort of the trans ideology now becoming a civil rights, a matter of civil rights. Mm -hmm. And so the first one that he mentions is a Supreme Court case written by Neil Gorsuch Mm -hmm. that essentially opens the floodgates to the affirmation in 2020, opens the floodgates to the affirmation of trans ideology at every level of society. So even though that opinion, and I've listened to that case that came before the Supreme Court, it's fascinating. If you want to go back on their their website, it's a government website. I forget what it is. Uh, But you can listen to all their court cases, and they're fascinating. They just relitigated this in a sense. And the opinion that Gorsuch wrote, essentially he was trying to zoom it in on the workplace. He was trying to say you can't discriminate Mm -hmm. against trans people in terms of bathrooms or changing rooms or anything like that in the public workplace. But Truman is pointing out that's just that just is opening the floodgates now Mm -hmm. uh, to making this a civil right issue, a civil rights issue. The second thing that happened is no sooner did Joe Biden get elected as president Mm -hmm. than he signed Mm -hmm. an executive order, an executive order. that made all public spaces essentially, especially in the workplace, um, safe space for uh, trans ideology or people who uh, identify as trans to now be able to change in a woman's locker room. You know, a man <laughs> with male genitalia being able to go into a woman's locker room and and yeah. basically pretend to be a woman. Yeah. And so, and so here now we have the problem of political activism. We, we have now an ideology that has now become a political movement, which has made this equal to civil rights. So if you speak against it, like J.K. Rowling, mm-hmm. who is a feminist, who is, uh, affirms the L, the G, and the B, and she's a feminist, and, uh, but she has just been canceled because she's come out to say, no, tra- trans women are not women, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so now this has become political. Your thoughts on this? Where's this going? Daniel has thoughts. I've got lots of <laughs> thoughts, and they are um, <clears throat> quietly brewing in my tired head. Um, it's it's interesting. The, the thing that I has been gripping my thoughts over the last little bit around this is the one of the arguments that the it's not an argument one of the claims that the the trans community makes the progressive christian community makes the lgbtq community makes um is that hey these aren't issues these are people we're talking about yeah and and there's an absolute truth in that um but 
when it's been coupled with the political activism, it now becomes a discussion of policy, uh, you know, broad stroke discussion. We don't get to deal with the individual anymore. We have to deal. Mm. It's either total acceptance of everything, or, sure, or yeah. you know, um, and the tragedy of the whole movement is the the dehumanizing nature of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, right. You have this woman who has an identity, whether you believe people are, are fundamentally, you know, born gay or whatever, like that doesn't matter. But she has this, hey, I have an identity, I have a launching point for interaction in my in my community, in relationship to everybody else. Like and now all of a sudden that's been blurred into nothingness. Yeah. Right? She's been she's been made less human than more human. Sure. You know, she has less less identity uh and the pushing of the of the political ideology, um, you don't have the option to not engage with it. Elections yeah. have consequences, right? Right. right. I.e., Joe Biden. One of the first first actions that Joe Biden makes is is a sweeping uh, sweeping affirmation of of this whole thing, and putting people who are against it on notice, in a sense, that hey, you are no longer going to be. Yeah. Be, you know, you, your position is no longer going to be sustainable. You, you're the equivalent now of the racist behind Jim Crow laws. Yeah. Once you put it at that level and you make it equivalent to that, you stigmatize everyone who would even question it. Yeah. So instead of allowing individuals in their communities to 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 treat people with human dignity, we now have to talk about it. In these broad strokes, where yeah. these people are are nothing but a a component yeah. to the, these groups, it's infuriating to me. Yeah. yeah, because it forces it forces the discussion down this road. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is functionally dehumanizing. Yeah. And 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 yeah. So, but like you and, said, it can't be avoided. You can't just say no church, no pastor. No teacher, no theologian can say, I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah. Uh, let the culture worry about these issues. I'm just not going to speak about it. And you do have a lot of churches today who have made that decision. Hmm. They have decided, I'm not going to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. Hmm. And and we're just not going to bring it up. Yeah. Um, and, and we have to make public declarations. Yeah that then affect whether a, a trans person would ever seek community here, would sure. ever come to, to, to hear the gospel. We've made pub- public declarations in response to cultural pressures. Yeah. Um, we, and I'm not, this isn't, I don't think that we, we made a mistake in doing that, yeah. but we've made these public declarations that now, uh, you know, yeah. <clears throat> would a trans person ever walk through our door to find the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Or would there be the automatic assumption they are against me because they are against you know and so there's a there's a tragedy in this that is just infuriating to me yeah Um, Yeah. but that same tragedy exists for every person who is trapped in any sin for which they would choose not to repent or be convicted Mm -hmm. by the holy spirit yeah i mean there's i can think of all kinds of people who wouldn't walk in the doors of a church ever Mm -hmm. uh because of the perceived judgment on their sin, but uh, as we'll talk about in a second, but that's exactly what the gospel does. Yeah, the gospel does mm-hmm. precisely that. Mm-hmm. That's how a person has justifying faith: is uh, they have to come under some conviction yeah. that they yeah. are sinners. Yeah. It's just uh, I feel your pain there because now it's it. If you try to have a conversation with a person, if you go to uh, 
if you go to a certain district in Seattle, right, a, a certain district in Seattle, uh, I, I used to live over that way, and you just, and I have done this before, and you just go down on the street and stop people and ask them, hey, are you a believer in Jesus or are you believing in the gospel? You're automatically stigmatized yeah. as mm-hmm. some crazy radical fundamentalist who is against me, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and so, so there is a sense in which the church has a responsibility to offset that perception by offering the mercy that is in the gospel, but it is a mercy for a person who stands condemned already, yeah, yeah. a person who is under, <clears throat> but, just like any drunkard or any prostitute, stands condemned in sin. Yeah. But yeah, but there's the the thing that is f- frustrating to me about this is not that we preach truth in order to convict people of sin. Like that's not the problem to me. It's the I don't get the choice to sit across the table from the person yeah, and have the discussion and have that discussion. This discussion has been had. Yeah. In in a thousand different formats, and now I have to, in a, in a sense, pick a side, yeah, or or at least yeah. associate myself with a side, whether yeah. I agree with everything that they, yeah, and uh, it, and again, it's just it's functioning to dehumanize everybody in this, you know, in the sight of everybody else, and yeah, and you were you were asking about the. Politicization, political. I can't talk this morning. Politicization of it all. Um, I think that's what he's trying to point out. Whenever you're tracing this argument, Daniel's exactly right that we can't have the conversation like this at all. We can't disagree because the other side is automatically saying you don't exist as a person. Right? They're tying it back to personhood, and this is the goal. If they make it into politics, it becomes law, and then you can't argue. Right? You can't. You're breaking the law, and then they can punish you. Yeah. For having that difference of opinion. Well, they can punish things. you in a lot of different ways. They can punish I think you where he's going with the free legally, too. Yeah. politically. Mm-hmm. They can punish you socially by stigmatizing you. You mm-hmm. know, look at J.K. Rowling. She's no Christian. I mean, she's not a person yeah. who is advocating for the for the gospel for mm-hmm. heaven's sake. She's yeah. pro, she's as pro LGB as it comes. But she was immediately yeah. excoriated and incinerated. Mm-hmm. Her her reputation incinerated in the public square because yeah. she just questioned whether or not a trans man is actually a woman mm. and is uh, contributing to her yeah. cause of lesbian, the lesbian feminist cause. Yeah. And so now you have, uh, what once, once it becomes socially stigmatized, it's worse than just the legal ramifications. Yeah. Those things can be changed. Laws can be changed, yeah. right? It's the social air now that we are... Okay, so off of this, um, the bottom of 133, he gives essentially three elements that need to be in place for this whole thing to take place. His first, inner psychology must have been granted ultimate authority mm-hmm. in human identity. Second, technology needs to have been rendered, uh, needs to have rendered the possibility of changing gender to be something that is technically plausible. Finally, the idea needed a powerful lobbying group and an attractive media presence in order to normalize the idea. So my, my question is, Who's the lobbying group? Yeah. I mean, it's multifaceted, I'm sure, but really what's driving the final push over the cliff, if you will? I mean, it sounds like Joe Biden writing and codifying in the executive order. That would be a component of it, but what drove this? Oh, well, Mm -hmm. this is something he actually doesn't get into, at least in this chapter, I didn't see it. Uh, But uh, political commentator, conservative commentator Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire did I don't know if you guys saw his documentary, What What is a Woman? Mm-hmm. 
um, or or you probably I'm sure you probably heard about it. Um, but it's a it's an infamous documentary. <laughs> I mean, it's famous it for is. being infamous in our culture. Uh, because uh, what he does is he questions various. He literally goes and he does do what Daniel uh, is advocating for, which is to sit across the table and ask these so-called experts, pediatricians, surgeons, yeah. uh, professors, political activists, about gender identity issues, particularly the practice of, and ask them about their practice of puberty blockers for children, sex change surgery, gender pronouns, and bodily or body mutilation for teens. So what he does is he subtly exposes the philosophical incoherence of the view. And when he asks the question, uh, when he asks a, a, a radical activist professor or a surgeon or a doctor, a psychologist, what is a woman? And the answer is always viciously circular. Mm -hmm. Anybody who feels like they are yeah. A woman. Yeah. And then the question is, I mean, he's not so hollering and screaming at him. He's just asking him, well, what is a woman? <laughs> you know, what's that? Uh, and the answer is always a person who feels who like they just a are a woman. Yeah. Um, so I thought his rejoinder was brilliant in its simplicity. So Walsh, what he does is he highlights two modern activists, though, back to your, your issue, mm -hmm. That Truman doesn't address. He addresses. He addresses the higher level stuff, philosophical. Yeah, he, he, point number one and point number two. He addresses, yeah. but really yeah, yeah. this, no. Uh, but then he talks about a couple of guys: Alfred Kinsey, who attempted to rid society of Judeo-Christian sexual mm. ethics and values, mm. and John Money of John Hopkins mm. University. Okay. That dude is. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who literally invented the terms gender identity and gender role. Yeah. Like he brought those terms into Out common thin air, parlance. Just put these things together. <clears throat> mm -hmm. and, and both of these men perform ghastly sexual experiments on children. Kinsey advocated sex education for young children in order to teach them that gender is not biological, but that it's just a social construct only. Mm. And then binary sex differences are not existent. So that so now there have been activists, pediatricians, uh, neuroscientists. There have been biologists, there have been people at, the, at those levels, psychologists, professors, mm -hmm. who have strongly act, been active uh, or activated to re-indoctrinate the culture away from Judeo-Christian sexual ethics. And, and so the There's, reason I bring that up is because I think we have to say we don't want to be conspiracy theorists. Mm -mm. But we have to say there is a very there is a cabal of people, hmm. whether they are directly associated with each other or in, just indirectly uh, connected with each other. Yeah. they are driving this from the bottom up, and then a, legislatively yeah. it's coming from the top down. But we can trace it back. There is a there is a beginning point. But yeah. there's also there's a start to this. Race. There's a book yeah. called After the Ball, which is no longer in print, and it's it's very expensive to get a hold of. Um, it says how America will conquer its fear and hatred of gays in the nineties was written in the eighties by a couple of activists who said, Hey, here's the strategy. Yeah. And one of the primary tenets of the strategy was to embed positive, uh, positive views of, of homosexuality into media. And so you started to get Will TV and shows in, in the nineties where, yeah. yep, you did. right. And, and it, and it began to, to kind of 
dilute people's instant response of like, hey, this seems yes. to be outside the natural order. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the same thing with the transgender oh, discussion. Oh, you're right about that. They're making it, hey, all the sympathetic characters, right? all the sympathetic characters in media are the ones who are struggling with gender identity. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it started yeah. with and Mary Tyler Moore. Like, it started all the way back then mm-hmm. with Mary Tyler Moore. I remember in the 90s, you guys might not remember this because you've probably only seen it in reruns, <clears throat> but back then we used to watch... Uh, I was that, a child, Jeff. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that show Friends, which I'm sure your mom and dad didn't let you watch when you were a kid. But my wife and I watched it, and I remember the first time uh, the bartender or the uh, coffee barista, Gunther, mm-hmm. who had white hair, and he was a gay character on the show. And I remember the first time we were sitting there watching that, and we turned it off. Mm-hmm. Like, we literally reached over and turned it off and said, I can't believe they just had a gay character. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it was that shocking back then. Yeah. And now that that is just nothing. That We, we are completely desensitized. Sure to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but you're right about that. But there was, there's always a nobility. But that's not accidental. That's what you're saying. No, there's, and there's always a nobility. It's the, you know, he talks in here about the virtuous, virtuous victimhood is what's kind of bonded these, yep. s- these things that sh- they shouldn't really be grouped together. The L, G, B, and T shouldn't be grouped together, but mm-hmm. they've found this common bond in, in a... Victimhood corporate sense of, of being victimized by the by the culture. Um, and in all of the depictions in media, they are the noble sufferer. Right. Right? Which which plays on, on the themes of 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 we we see that as a uh, as a, a reflection of Christ, the noble sufferer in mm-hmm. any yeah. in any book, in any literature. Right. It's a reflection of Christ's yeah. suffering for that which was virtuous, that which is redemptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they've now put the uh, those characters in those roles. And so there's this oh this is terrible. Like this like there's this instant sort of uh bond and, and sure. sympathy yep. uh for them. And uh and that and that is intentional. It's one of the It desensitizes you to Yeah to the um, ghastly nature of it. And I'll give you a very, very current example, okay? The MCU. It is the show The Last of Us, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, you could you could give lots of examples from <laughs> Disney, but in the show The Last of Us, which was a video game, very popular video game. My kid uh, played that game when he was a teenager, but it's a post-apocalyptic dystopian world in which so the whole idea there is that these cordyceps, which are real, by the way, these cordyceps, uh, which if you look this up on YouTube, it's hilarious. Like, it'll scare you to death. But uh, the, it's a fungus that um, invades ant colonies and oh. turns the ants mm-hmm. into Zombies, zombie slaves. ants. Yeah. That, this, is, this is for real. You can watch this on YouTube. It's I've horrifying. sat and watched it for like an hour. <laughs> but uh, so the idea Definitely is... Definitely post-fall. <laughs> yeah. So the idea here is that they've now, they've now done the same thing to humanity. So the whole like, the premise of the show, the premise of the game, is that they've wiped humanity out except for just a few community just a few pockets of human communities now in the show uh everybody is a raving that that is not as yet a zombie Hmm. is a raving dysfunctional maniac every heterosexual relationship is dysfunctional and jacked up and the only human relationship that is portrayed in a positive light is in a community where you have this guy 
who traps this other guy, and then they become gay lovers, and they sort of marry each other. Jeez. And so they live in this community, um, and, and that relationship is portrayed as normal and beautiful and virtuous, mm -hmm. and they end up killing themselves together because uh, there's just nothing else they can do. And the only religious community that is portrayed in the show... Why would you watch that? It, it's, it's horrible. It is, it is ghastly. And the only religious community that's portrayed in the show are a bunch of raving, crazy people reading the book of Revelation, and they're cannibals. They're literally cannibals, right? And so they're just like cult leader cannibal, uh, leading sort yeah. of like a cannibal community. So mm -hmm. every relationship that is in the show that should be upheld... Uh, between men and women it's as torn. virtuous and noble and human uh, and and good is mm -hmm. upended mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and the only community that is even functional in the show is in Jackson is set in Jackson Wyoming uh, it's the last stronghold of humanity and it's and they identify in the show as being a communist community <laughs> so everything that is right is wrong, and everything that is wrong is held up as virtuous and noble, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. right? And yeah. so, talk about a discussion. And not starter. as, and not as a, that, and not as a. Oh, hey, this is a, this is a moral lesson, lesson, foil, something. Yeah, yeah. like this. It's not. It's, it's not, not to contrast yeah. goodness. It is not. It's to yeah. It's to it's invert not. goodness. It's yeah. to invert goodness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and it struck me as I was watching the show, it's like, dude, if you only have a handful of human beings left, the very first people to be selected out of the human race would be LGBTQ people because they can't reproduce. Yeah. <laughs> like they would be the very first people to be selected out. Mm. They would be wiped out first. Mm. If you're trying to repopulate the world, mm. uh, you can't do it yeah. with pregnant people. You got to have pregnant women. Yeah. Um, so it's just bizarre, but now I want to turn to Genesis 1.26. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. So what's the church's answer? Because we can't just sit on the sideline and complain mm -hmm. and shout at the refs who yeah. are running the game, right? It's a, it's a great we got to get in the game. And how do we get in the game? Well, we start with the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel mentioned, you know, the dehumanization that is going on. And, and it's going on essentially politically both ways, ideologically, right? Um, but then Genesis 1, 26 or 27, I want to read it because it tells us what a human being is. Mm -hmm. This is then God said, let us make man, mankind that is, in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea. So here's the likeness. The birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. Now, after he gives them this co-regent or co-dominion vocation, after he tells them to do this, he then tells them, go enjoy the world and everything in it. In other words, I've resourced you. I've given you everything in the world for your pleasure, for your enjoyment, so long as you stay aligned with my rule mm -hmm. and in my word. 
So, uh, so the question then becomes, is the imaging aspect of humanity merely a vocation that is a function uh, in which we do what God wants or carry out what God wants us to do, or is it a quality, right? And so essentially the two camps, there are three camps among theologians about what human imaging is or what it means, yeah. and the three camps are the substantialist camp, which is, that means ontological, that means we have some properties or some qualities, yeah. uh, such as uh, super rationality or morality or self-awareness, things like that, qualities, properties. But then there's the vocationless camp. Number two, the vocationless camp would say, nope, it's a function. It says right here, it's a ruling function. Mm-hmm. So it's only functional. It's only mm-hmm. vocational. And then the third camp, uh, started by Karl Barth, would be uh, the, the relational. That is to say, he's talking about humanity in general, not the, not the individual as a human image bearer, mm. right? And so I think I would throw Bart's out in some sense, mm-hmm. though yeah. I would affirm it in another sense, but I would say the vocation here, it, the, the image bearingness has to be vocational. And I think it also has to be somewhat relational but I think there are some qualities that enable it mm-hmm. or that are entailed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that allow them to carry out their vocation here is their biological distinctions yeah. and their mutual compatibility. So here, here's an idea where the vocation needs yeah. or entails yeah. certain Harder. attributes. <laughs> yeah, certain. <laughs> so how can we be human uh, without these attributes, and one of the main ones, in fact, the first one he mentions here, create is maleness and femaleness, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So, so how does the church respond? Does this just look like crazy talk? Does this just look like some arcane, ancient text that no one should be paying attention to, no one should be listening to, or should we start the congregation by asking a person, not what is a woman? What is a human? What is a human? Yeah. What does it mean to be a human yeah. being? And let's start the congress conversation here. Tell me what it is here that you disagree with. Yeah. And let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. What What are your thoughts on that passage and what it's telling us about humanization, Brother James? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big question. Um, <clears throat> well, I think on that passage we see. I think you're. I think you're exactly right. The vocation, but then there's a quality given to humanity to accomplish that vocation, and our biology is part of that. Yeah. Um, along with other things, we could say as well. Um, like a spiritual thinking, faculty. Sure. Thinking back to your kind of larger question of what does the church do? It's the truth, right? The world is suppressing the truth, which is leading to fluidity, confusion, despair, and just more brokenness. And the church's response to that is to preach the truth, which is the Word of God in its totality, the whole counsel of God. And so our churches need to be people of the Word, um, because we're not—it's not our opinions, it's God's opinion that matters. It's His truth. And so we are called to continually preach the Word and call people to the Word to understand the Word yeah. so that they know God, because yeah. that's eternal life. Right. I think when we talk about this, I mean, this chapter for me had a lot of the uh, Jesus in Matthew 7 talking about the wise man builds mm. his house upon the rock. Yeah. That's building your house upon the rock is hearing the words of Jesus mm. and obeying them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the man who builds his house on the sand. 
mm-hmm. who hears the words of Jesus and disobeys, mm-hmm. which is where our world is. And it's just sand. Like, yeah. You can't help but yeah. look at the society and just say, it breaks my heart because you see people just, they have no hope. They think they are choosing hope, yeah. but they're just hopeless. They think uh, they're choosing freedom. <clears throat> yeah, but they're just throwing themselves into more bondage. Like you said, it, it, I think the way you put it was so well. Uh, it, it breeds, con- what did you say, confusion. Mm-hmm. Fluidity. And fluidity, Fluidia. confusion based on that, and then despair and hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is. It, it is. Jesus says, and that house fell in with a great crash. Yeah, great was its And part. that's what we're yeah. seeing is Jesus. the culture collapsing in yeah. on itself. And Jesus tells us the truth and says the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Uh, that if, if people are searching for freedom, but they will never find it within themselves. They yeah. have to find it within the Lord. Yeah. And that requires us to submit ourselves to the truth, which it's is why we should teach the truth. Yeah, yeah there's a there's a whole movement like the it's called the you know trust your gut movement, right? Mm. Where people have been are re- they're kind of rejecting Christianity and saying, hey, you've been told that your heart is desperately wicked. But really, you need to be in tune with these, you know, like you've been given, yeah. you, you've, you've developed these evolutionarily to keep you alive, right? Your gut is there to, to keep you in a safe place. And, and there's, a, there's a good discussion to be had about like, you know, what is, what is good about our, our instincts and what is not. But the rates of uh, anxiety, especially in young and especially in women, yeah. are skyrocketing. Depression and suicide, yeah, too. Are, are skyrocketing. And so there is some truth to this of yeah. people know when they're in a dangerous place, right? Mm-hmm. There's something, we, in fact, there's something wrong with somebody if they can stand on the edge of a cliff and not have that like right. response in their body to, a, to pull away from this. And so I think, I think uh, socially and spiritually... Those skyrocketing rates of, of insecurity, anxiety, depression um, are rooted in an instinct of I my I'm built, I have no foundation. Right. My feet are my feet are not planted upon any rock. There is no security here. There yeah. is no. But um, but in this world of growing anxiety, depression, these things, we have a doctor at church who advocates lifestyle change prior to any medication being prescribed. Mm-hmm. Now he's an anomaly. Mm-hmm. In the medical sure, field and where sure. he's around, because people are asking for, just give me the meds, because I don't want to change <laughs> my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Even though, what is anxiety intended to do? To help bring awareness that there's something in our lifestyle that's messed up that needs to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the natural order is being. Um, and so is it like one. diet and exercise? Diet, and exercise, community. thought life. He has a whole spider Sleep. web. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Of what it would be able to in- endeavor. But this goes to the point if if our because um, that command, the vocation, it's a blessing given in the form of a command. So the blessing is the command to fulfill. So if I fight the blessing, if I I fight the command, I distance myself from the blessing. That's a great way to put it. And so fighting the natural order removes the blessing that's intended and results in anxiety and depression. I think you're exactly right. I think we see in this uh, first chapter here of Genesis, we see God putting his hand of blessing on his creation and saying, this this what I've created, this is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. And that's what he blesses. And he doesn't it's, blesses what he bless what he hasn't sanctioned. Yeah, that's right. right. And it's interesting that the uh I think we brought this up a little bit a few episodes ago. But uh is it 
who who's the the one who you know if Cain, if Cain will be avenged, you know Lamech. what is it Lamech 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 yeah Lamech obviously evil dude yes. and he's boasting to his multiple wives mm-hmm. yeah right he's he he's he's clearly beginning to transgress in this way um, that is stepping outside of the and the confusion of oh hey God's gonna avenge me seven times yeah and you know and uh, yeah. So we move away from that which yeah, God yeah. has has declared good in His natural in His order. Um, haven't haven't you? Can't you see? This is what I think is so obvious from from the Old Testament text is that you start in Genesis one and two and three. Even the fallen image bearers three and four, Cain, uh, can hear God so clearly, like they can hear His voice so crystal clear, just resounding. I probably in their in their minds in their hearts. And then the further you get away from the garden, the harder it is to see and hear God. The, the harder it is to, yeah. to, to acknowledge or see his truth. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel, yeah. it's utter denial uh, or obscurity. God yeah, is so sure, obscure sure. that he has to come down and judge hmm. those people for that project. But I just think that that's where we're living today. We're also, back to the confusion point, I think it is it's just... There's a fog of confusion, and that is anxiety-inducing. When you don't have, when you don't know what the truth is, mm. and you have all these sources claiming to give you the truth, yeah. but you have no—it's not anchored in anything. Mm. Then I think that just causes us anxiety. You see that mm. with little kids, like little kids that are raised in a home like that. They, like the like the 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 guy at John Hopkins University that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the experiments that those scientists did on the twins, oh, the tra- trans twins, those two twins killed themselves. Yeah. They committed mm-hmm. suicide right. because they were it's, yeah, it's, under it's such viable. a burden of anxiety for these experiments that they ran on kids. Mm-hmm. And that's what our culture is doing. It's experimenting on children, and then they're killing themselves. <laughs> I mean, they're just they're killing themselves. Suicide rates are skyrocketing. But, but it's been labeled as nobility. It's, but it's been labeled as virtuous and noble, virtuous. and in their hearts they know that's not true. So let me turn to this. Well, you asked a yeah. question earlier, which is, what is the church's response? So I think we've talked sure. about it from a yeah. doctrinal position, but what a very practical position, if we could dive into that for a second. Because in some ways, it's I think the church's response is to faithfully sit back and wait, because I don't want to treat the symptom and go after it and, and spin wheels, because if this is an untenable position, over a period of time, it will be self-defeating. In sure. some ways, so I, I know there's that element, but I don't. I'd love to hear what what's the practicality of engaging in culture and workplaces, family, home. What what do we say? Do we just come back to Genesis and say we need to talk about what is a human or what? <clears throat> no, I, th- I mean I think it's building off exactly what uh, James. Was, what's your name again? Yeah, James is <laughs> saying here, uh, preaching the truth, but doing that in a whole host of different ways, holding truth and grace. R- Right. Together, not forsaking one over the other. And uh, so we teach our church that from the pulpit, right? And then we teach classes, you know, that would land on this as things come up. We teach our our mothers and our fathers what it means to disciple their children well. And we provide counseling. We provide discipleship. We create a culture within the church that seeks to care for one another, disciple one another, let the mature help the immature. And then just model, you know, a a radical desire to see others mature in Christ mm-hmm. and help them to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it is, we've mentioned this before, 
but I think it is really critical that we not come across as as angry, yeah. judgmental people who are just telling everyone you're going to hell. Yeah. Like I think it is really important that we become followers of Jesus, and one of the ways we can become followers of Jesus is is that people think that we're the friend of sinners. Yeah, I kind of feel like if you if no one thinks that you're the friend of a sinner, mm. then you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. not doing it yeah. like Jesus would. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think there is a there is a balance or a tension actually, not a balance, yeah. but a tension between grace and mercy, mm-hmm. and then on the flip side, the truth. Because Jesus never offered people grace and mercy without also giving them the truth. Right. Yeah. He didn't yeah. say to the Samaritan woman, "Hey." Keep doing what you're doing. Doing, that's keep doing what you're is. doing. You're and doing a great job. You'll, you'll find happiness there. That's yeah. the difference between uh, empathy and compassion. Compassion yeah. has an element of direction yeah. added yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah. I think. I think the other is <clears throat> we don't want to just the we want a quick fix, right? Things yeah. are so bad yeah. right? <laughs> that right. we want a quick <laughs> fix, and so yeah. we think, oh, we're gonna elect the so right structural. person. Yeah. We're gonna do. We're gonna become the political activists. And we're going to use the, go- the government as a as a club to yeah. make people moral, which never works. Doesn't work. Um, and so taking the taking the long game view of okay, what seeds? I mean, the way that Jesus uses language about you know this tree, you know, it's a, the kingdom of God is a tree growing. It's leaven in bread, right? Yeah. It is a long term view of yeah. okay, what do I what do I do in my daily life? Yeah. Like you're saying. Yeah. And I think one of them is uh, is if you are are called to do it, get married and have children and raise them in the church. Create, yeah. fill, and raise. right, like yeah. like, yeah. like even even that is yeah. protest against what it this is. is. Even mm-hmm. that is pushback against what this is. Um, and then also, I think it's important to recapture uh, or not recapture, but to be vigorous in biblical thinking, not yeah. just biblical knowledge, not yeah. just having, oh, I know chapter and verse, but but having our minds renewed by the washing of the word yeah. and have biblical thinking. Yeah. Um, because I, yeah. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, secular thinking that we try to co-opt and use, you know, and, and, sure. and we've talked about this a little bit about like using the same language as, you know, of sexual fulfillment in marriage. This is why you abstain from sex before marriage so that you can have the most fulfilling, right? Like we adopt. Or we've talked also about, this is a great point that you bring up actually, because we talked about Matt Walsh's interview with Joe Rogan and how that was a bit of a fail. Oh yeah. So here's a guy who is on the right side in terms of the ideology, but he ultimately isn't anchoring it in transcendent yep. uh, decrees, yep. like, you know, mm-hmm. God has uh, God alone has the right by design mm-hmm. and decree to determine our purpose, mm-hmm. our value, our worth, and our function, and what we are, our identities, right? But He really wasn't doing that. He was trying to make a sort of cultural secular. He was trying to use the secular tool, the tool, to and- argue for his case. But it just won't do. You'll hear you'll hear guys like Ben Shapiro do this as well. It just will not do to say, well, this is the way human society has been for thirty four hundred years. Well, actually, there's been lots of examples of gay and lesbian relationships over thirty four hundred years. You can't just appeal to history. You can't just appeal nope. uh, to those things. You have to appeal to an ultimate 
way James was saying, an ultimate transcendent truth, mm-hmm. an ultimate transcendent authority. Yeah, and, there, and that has to be reintroduced into the public square. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that has been yeah. Yeah, like, it's been relegated to yeah, a private secularism sphere. has yeah. has mm-hmm. won in that sense. It has, and so Christians need to build businesses Christianly, mm-hmm. and they need to raise yeah. families Christianly, or yeah. students need, need to write papers Christianly. Yeah. They do it's the same idea. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And we also need to take our licks. Yeah, well, but, but that, <laughs> the that, fact that, is, when we do that <laughs> and we engage this culture, we are going to be persecuted. We are going to be lashed for it and we're going to be stigmatized mm-hmm. um can, can i can i switch to one sort of uh, supernatural element that is going on here and that is why would satan so vehemently with such concerted effort work so hard to destroy the reality that underlies genesis 1 26 through 28 uh what is his goal in driving the lgbtq plus movement toward destroying or dehumanizing a human being. Yeah. What? What? Why would that be Im- so important to his cause? Because remember, in Ephesians six, we wrestle against yeah. not against flesh and blood, but against right. spiritual forces right. and heavenly realms right. driven mm-hmm. by the devil himself. So why is this now so important to the devil to attack this fundamental yeah. institution? I think on a large level, it would be that. Male and female created in the image of God declares God's glory yeah. to all around. That's and right. Satan hates God's glory. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. jealous of it. Yeah. He longs for it himself. Yeah. 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 And on a functional answer, in trying to subvert and take away any idea of God as creator, uh, we tie God's sovereignty and rule back to his create yeah. creatorship, right? And so when you get rid of him being the creator, he can easily attack sovereignty, rule, exactly. you know, anything else. So. And if... As I think, Jeff, you hold this view, uh, that demonic spirits are 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 ungendered. They're non they're non gendered yeah. beings. Um, Satan wants us to be in his image. Right. That's what. Yeah. He wants the worship of God in that same sense. Mm, he wants yeah. us to be conformed to his to his likeness. Right. Yeah. As as worship of him. So. Which is fallen. Yeah. It's fundamentally fallen. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would say that the purpose of the human being in this passage is twofold. It's bidirectional. It's to reflect the glory of God to creation, mm-hmm. right? And then it's to reflect the praises of creation, its sacrifunction to praise God back to God. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, he's a ruler. He's a co-regent. Mm-hmm. He rules over creation to reflect the glory and the majesty of God over creation. But in another sense, he's a priest. Yep. He mediates between creation, all of creation, and God representing its praises back mm-hmm. to God. And I think mm-hmm. that is what you guys are really hitting on this. That is what Satan hates so much. Yeah. He hates God's glory. He hates God's position. He tried to take God's position mm-hmm. in the council, in the heavenly council. He wanted that seat for himself. He was flicked out of heaven. And so (laughs) essentially what he is trying to do is destroy the imaging nature in a human being because it's designed to reflect God's glory. It's designed to reflect the praises of creation to God. (laughs) And he hates it. He despises it. He hates God. (laughs) And yes, he wants to reform us into into his fallenness. He is fallen, and he knows the best way to get to God... Yeah. 
is to get to the thing that God loves the most. That's God right. doesn't love the quasars yeah. and quarks and uh, d- d- dark matter in the universe and constellations as much as he loves a human being. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Matthew 6. Yeah, he I, doesn't even love the angelic <clears throat> realm as much as he loves the human <clears throat> right. race. And I think that... Oh, Go ahead. I was I was just going to say I think that connects back to what we were just talking about is that if Satan is trying to destroy the image of God, the glory of God, the praise of God, then our duty as Christians is just to lift God up mm-hmm. to make him known among people. Right. Right? This is eternal life that we would know God. And we think of Moses's interaction with God on the mountain when the Lord passes before him with his goodness and Moses sees just the train of it, and God says, oh, the Lord, wow. the Lord, merciful, compassionate, mm-hmm. slow to anger, forgiving the th- sins to the thousands, but by no means letting the guilty go unpunished. Right. So we see first the mercy, mercy. of God, yeah. the slow, slowness to anger of God, but also that God will, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right. And that's the message we present to the culture. Right. God's merciful. Turn to him. Turn to Christ. Believe in him. Receive forgiveness. Yes. Turn from your sins. Have faith. And if you don't, vengeance is coming. Yeah. It's it's the role of savior and judge. Mm-hmm. It's like you 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 and I need. What's that first part of the, that Moses saw? The God, His glory, yeah. His glory, Glorying. glorious and merciful, mm-hmm. forgiving. But we need that. Why? Because he's our judge. Mm-hmm. And this is why we say those who hold a penal substitutionary theory, which I think we all do here at this mm-hmm. table, would say, no, you don't just need to be saved from some amorphous concept of your eventual death. Mm-hmm. You, you, as, a, as an unbeliever, you need to be saved from God, yes. from his mm-hmm. judgment, because he does hold the guilty culpable, mm-hmm. liable. I am going to take a pause right now and go to the restroom. And we'll come back. I'm sorry. I'm old. All right. Welcome back. Okay. Okay. So um, next question I had here is um, we've had people who left our church. I don't know about you guys, James, but we've had people who left our church because they think or that are no longer part of our community and our fellowship here. Hmm. Because they've, they've accused us of being transphobic. So now let's bring this down to the ground, okay? And practically how we, how we handle it. Or they feel that we've been just too strident in our insistence on the issue. They probably have heard me preach. Like, like we made it a bigger deal than it actually is. Is that Sure, yeah. Like I mean, I've thing. preached on it a few times, probably four or five times. I've mentioned it in the, in the Roman series. But that's been over a year. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. preaching through Romans, I really have done my best to not harp on things mm-hmm. that are not present in the text, mm-hmm. right? Um, so how should we respond then as a church to people who claim to be Christians now, who are just very tolerant, very accepting, mm-hmm. and also, uh, in fact, approving of those who claim to um, affirm yeah, trans yeah. ideology. First of all, the individual who is being swallowed up by a rebellious and wicked society putting pressure on them <clears throat> to conform to LGBTQ ideology, how should we respond to the individual? Maybe the individual who is actually struggling with same-sex attraction or struggling with these things and actually yeah, beginning mm-hmm. to... Um, 
envision themselves as being participating in this culture, this trend, or the culture who is imposing a top-down and a bottom-up grassroots, bottom-up strategy <clears throat> to completely indoctrinate our children into this. So how should we, as a church, respond, first of all, to the individual <clears throat> who just is being influenced uh, by this indoctrination uh, in trans or LGBTQ ideology. What's our response? You mentioned discipleship. Yeah, I mean, I think I, yeah, in regards to that particular question, I think discipleship, uh, seeking to show them that we still love them as a fellow image bearer of, of God, that we desire friendship with them, that we're not just trying to preach to them. We want to walk alongside them in the midst of this, that we care for them, but we yeah. do actually appeal to an ultimate source of authority, that we are seeking to live under God's word. We're trying to model our lives in light of that. And so um, we bring them back to that, but we show them why this is actually a good um, a, a good design that God has put in place. That's great. You're touching on some them. really yeah. important issues there. James, how, how, what, what's the strategy here? How do, how do we address the individual who's struggling um, by just being getting sucked in to this culture and the way it thinks. Yeah, getting sucked into the culture, it's, I mean, it's what Ryan was just talking about and what we've already talked about is, you know, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And yeah. that means adherence to the word of God in its full counsel. Yeah. Uh, that my truth is not determined by my opinion or my feelings or my experience. Truth is determined by an external source of God's counsel, yeah. and I and as a Christian, we're called to yield our lives to it in right. its wholeness, um, and so that means adhering to Genesis, at how God created us, yeah. um, and and so I really do believe that that's uh, with Christians. That's where I'm going to take them. I'm going to say, hey, yep. like, yeah, culture's telling you this. Friends is telling you this. The yeah. office is telling you yeah, this. Parks are. and Rec is telling you this. <laughs> All those like. Yep. You know, binge-worthy shows. Uh, <laughs> they're all showing those things, but yep. we adhere to a stronger universal truth. Yeah. Are, is your question not to someone who ha is same-sex attracted potentially, but to a Christian who is living in between attention yeah. of having a family member, having someone that they want yes. to be compassionate for? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's exposing the underlying tension of where your two things you're being drawn by. That when we make statements about this community or about the philosophy behind it and offer God's truth, we are messengers. We're not creating this ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I don't have to fear um, retaliation because it's my idea. Mm -hmm. I'm merely right. incurring retaliation because it's a message I was called sure. to communicate. Yeah. So, so there is a trust in the Lord component I would like mm -hmm. to expose or, tee out, or tease out to say, um, to someone who wants to be more accepting, affirming, or, or maybe use the word tolerant, um, in who is God? Who who is God in your view? Yeah. To what level and of authority of grandeur of glory is He to you? Yeah. Because uh, it seems to be diminished, mm -hmm. yeah. which is why yeah, His message isn't practical. going to be as strong or as lovely or as confident in. I think that's a good practical metric. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, the Word of God, the truth. Mm -hmm. You disciple people, but then. What's your vision of God? Where I mean, but where mm -hmm. in this sort of line of authority here do you think God falls? Yeah. 
and what is your vision of him as as a holy righteous exactly god yeah say you i don't want to do the the us i don't want to se- segregate us from the congregation yeah. mm-hmm. as pastors but um the church has the church has been given the gift of pastors as as shepherds yeah. to do the function of a shepherd which is to feed and protect the sheep and to fight off the wolves that would come to destroy. Yeah. The sheep aren't necessarily given that order of, Hey, like destroy the wolves responsibility. (laughs) And so, um, having a quickness, a quickness to embrace a person as a, as a, an image bearer of God, as you know, my, my, my heart would be that this congregation would see somebody struggling and immediately default to compassion. Yeah. And uh, compassion, love, care, embrace, being yeah. a friend of sinner. I think you're right about that. And allow uh, the pas- the pastors to do the work of of fighting wolves. Right on. And not being not being mm-hmm. quick to jump into that battle. Right. Right. Not not being quick to to become. Uh, you know, try try to use the rod. Yes. Um, we we don't bear the sword, but we bear the rod and the staff. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so and so, what we're doing here of hey, this is an ideology that though, you know, maybe maybe a quarter of a percent of people in idea in, in Idaho Falls identifies this way. It's an ideology that's knocking at the door, and we are mm-hmm. are we are tasked to look to the horizon, and defend against yeah. you know incoming threats. But for the person who comes through the door, uh, the gospel is as much for them as it was for you yes. in your sin. Mm-hmm. And and the and the desire should be, come, hear the gospel, right. hear the gospel, hear the gospel, yeah. hope in Christ, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I th- I think because of the tension in society, there there might be a default position of, oh no, that person is here. Yeah. And that yeah. would be that would be tragic. I, I think yeah. you're right about that. I think that would be absolutely mm-hmm. tragic. Um very very good answer. Very good answer. Because that looks like Jesus to me. Mm-hmm. That looks like Jesus sitting at Matthew's house surrounded by prostitutes and donkey peddlers <laughs> and yeah. uh uh you know and if there comes a time and black, i know black market and i know that there's a fear that that is going to creep in and 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 pervert the the our commitment to the truth but trusting that the shepherds of the church the elders the pastors are going to if somebody does come and start trying to promote yeah. this as a as a god ordained God blessed, you know, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Yeah. That 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 won't be that won't creep in here. But but isn't that a danger though? I mean, I think of Andy Stanley, not to pick on him because I love that brother, but I think of Andy Stanley who sort of in his attempt to be Jesus sitting at Matthew's house ministering to sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, um he he ended up caving. I mean, he ended up sort of losing his moorings from the truth, from yeah. the word, and yeah. unhitching his Christianity from the word and 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 its value system. So I think, isn't there an inherent da- danger? I want to ask you this, Josh. Do we have an inherent danger of in our desire to minister compassion and mercy of also losing the truth? 
or just mm. dissolving it for convenience sake because we love the people that we're we love the people that we're talking to. We love the people that we're in disagreement with. We want them to be saved. We want them to be rescued. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, personally, I like to think um, that was like some of the heart of like certain progressive churches out there, you know? Sure. Um, that they did truly have a desire um, and a compassionate heart to serve um, the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have the, the backing of the truth and of the word um, to give them the truth. And I think that's, it's really easy to do, um, on this side of the spectrum, um, of Christianity as well, that, um, it's really easy to shy away from the truth and to not give them, um, what they need yeah. and to ultimately just, um, disguise it with like words like love and tolerance. Sure. You know, yeah. or self-help theory or self-help theory. Yeah. 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 Just to, mm. you'll hear a lot with those churches. You'll hear a lot of people say, well, I'm just trying to put it on the bottom shelf. Just trying to put it on the bottom shelf. It's like, well, that's great. Put it on the bottom shelf <clears throat> in Sunday school for your children. Yeah. But when people come in here, they need to hear the hard truths, yeah. like justification by faith, yeah. Yeah. like being saved from your sins. I mean, those are basic concepts, but those words, we can't just abandon that terminology because it sounds religious or it sounds like Christianese. Yeah, it's really easy nowadays. Like, I don't think we naturally have the same view of sin as God. Right. And so, like you were saying with, like, The Last of Us, they're just, like, completely normalizing um, what's th the invert of um, what is good and what is righteous. Yeah. yeah. And so, even as Christians, you know, we can come to accept the truth, but our sinful nature um, and all of these worldly perspectives that have been pushed on us throughout our life are still there. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, we still have to combat that even mm -hmm. now. Right, right. That's right. So, aren't there two—but there's two— Extremes we want to avoid, right? So as we said before, we want to avoid the extreme of becoming a judgmental, just sort of an angry preachers that sound like they're always, like John MacArthur, yeah. you know, that just always sounds angry. We're going to get emails. Yeah. <laughs> He's but I'm saying, I love that, brother. And I, and uh, I he's absolutely, done great work for the <laughs> and I absolutely affirm his just his solid biblical preaching. Praise God for that. Mm -hmm. Praise God for that. And pastoring for and, 60 and years. pastoring yeah. for Amen. so long. One church. Praise God for that. Mm -hmm. And I think for sure that guy is on the side of the angels when it comes to this issue, yeah. for sure. And also, he has been a friend. He has practiced friendship yeah, he, to secular Christians. He was arrested in the civil rights movement, walking mm -hmm. with Dr. King. He so was. He, yeah. And not only that, but he regularly for many years appeared with Larry King uh, and and preached the gospel in a very loving, compassionate, sincere mm -hmm. way to people who were sitting on the opposite side mm -hmm. of him Deepak and to Chopra, Larry King. Like, yeah. yeah, all the time. And, yeah. uh, and, and lesbian and gay rights activists sitting across the table uh, just screaming at him and him just being calm and compassionate mm -hmm. and looking like Jesus. But I'm just saying, oftentimes in his preaching, he does sound very angry. Yeah. He sounds angry at the people that he's preaching at. And I think it's one thing to be angry at the culture. Like I'm angry at the deception in the culture for sure, but I'm not angry at those people. I love those people. We, 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 so on the one hand, we want to avoid sort of discharging undue electricity at the very people Jesus died for. But on the other hand, we don't want to just dissolve I think you're teasing the out. message in favor of just sort of a syrupy tolerance. In the same way God's wrath is loving, your anger towards the deception is a loving thing. Like yeah. my anger, my frustration, my animosity towards these ideas and yeah. philosophies is a loving thing, but it's it's not loving to another person to yeah. just pour out anger. That yeah. That's not the extent of it. There's, no. there's a difference between 
the sheep without a shepherd and the ravenous wolves. Mm-hmm. And the ravenous wolves, I no holds barred there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? They're going to get the rod. Yeah. But <laughs> um, to assume that everyone is a ravenous wolf. Right. <laughs> right. Is, is, yeah, it's going to be... Well, long, long, hard road for you, my friends. Well, so then how do we deal with the person who is struggling with same-sex attraction? And this is a person, they, they are struggling with it. And they'll tell you, look, I, I don't know what to tell you. I have this desire, mm-hmm. right? And, I feel, and the culture is affirming my need to act on my desire. Sure. I, I do think you start with even the phrase, how do we deal with people? It's how do we love people who are wrestling with sure. Same sex, and that's not a correction. To exactly what you're saying, but that's the beginning well, of the answer. Maybe it is. Maybe I shouldn't say it that. But way. but it's the it's the beginning of the answer to look at with a loving lens of mercy. So the same way we were just quoting, what's merciful in this relationship? How can we bring mercy first and foremost to this person who's actually searching for it? Because yeah. if we go back, there's a justification problem. We know that they have. They're searching for a an end to the dysfunction that's somewhere in their soul. Yeah, and mercy can do that. Yeah. That's not a full answer. I think that's where I would I would start. I think I think making sure that we're speaking in uh, not it doesn't have to be Christianese, even though every culture has its own lingo. That's and fair. So the people pushing back on that sometimes is anyway, uh, not necessarily Christianese, but biblical categories. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody walks in and says, you know, I'm I, I'm a pansexual, two spirit, yeah. you know, whatever, say all right. These aren't biblical categories. <laughs> like yeah. These aren't. Th- this is a. This is a contemporary invention. Right. Why don't we look at biblical categories first, and then, of course, the Bible doesn't talk about, you know, AK forty sevens or you know anything like that. But bringing them back to okay, hey, let's 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 think biblically mm-hmm. and talk biblically and um, yeah, renew your mind in the you know in think, the Word. Yeah. Thank God's thoughts after Him. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, in regards to that question, how do you walk with somebody? I think two things. I think you acknowledge that in a fallen world, they very well are probably experiencing these desires. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you acknowledge that and you say that that's the reality and you know of other um, believers who experience those desires as well and, and uh, are looking forward to eternity. So I think you acknowledge that. And I, I would have the view that the Lord can still change those desires. Sure. Yeah. Um, but if he doesn't... Uh, all believers, all disciples, all followers are called to count the cost of yeah. what it means to follow Jesus and to pick up their cross and follow after him. And so in that very real example, that is their cross of denying themselves in sure. that regard and following after Christ. And so you have to, it, yeah, I'm tying so it back to I'm not to saying you're not having so. the desires. That's just a figment of no. your imagination. That's not very merciful and that's not yeah. very loving or kind. But we're saying, listen, not every desire that you have is legitimate. Yeah. Not every mm-hmm. th- desire that you have is congruent yeah. with the yeah. way God has right. designed you. Yeah. And you just talked with the young men on Wednesday night about, yeah, um, yeah. I yeah, was going to bring a that up. Position of anger, right? And so, like, how do you deny that? And how do you follow after that? Right. I grew so. up with very hot. What I shared with the boys on Wednesday night was, I grew up with very hot uh, Irish red boiling blood, and just a very quick trigger. Uh, I grew up in a very violent home, a very violent uh, atmosphere, and I just thought violence was normal. And to this day, I still, though it is much diminished compared to when I was 15, 16 years old, I still desire to solve things with violence. But that doesn't make it right (laughs) that I desire it, that I want it, that I want to act on it. So you're right. I mean, it's, I think you're exactly right. 
Um, James, any thoughts on this? How do we deal with it? Someone comes to you and says, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. What do I do? Yeah, so I think what everyone else said. Uh, <laughs> what he said. Yeah, I think, I think the only thing, obviously, as a pastor, or I think just even as a believer, if someone comes to you and says that, the first thing you need to identify is, are they struggling with it? Or are they looking for affirmation of it? Sure. To co-sign it? Yeah. Yeah. And so you do have to identify that. You know, if it's someone who genuinely is saying, I love the Lord and I want to obey Jesus and thus show my love for him um, by obeying what he commands, I think we want to make sure we we continue to use biblical parameters. We are compassionate and merciful like the Lord. And we remember Jesus is gentle and lowly of heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, That Jesus loves and it brings him joy meeting with his people right. in their suffering, in their sin. Right. Because in so doing, it magnifies his grace. Yeah. Um, and point. I think you know a good plug for a book in that is the book uh, by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. Oh, great uh, book. It's a great mm-hmm. book to read. Uh, it really does provoke the heart to that of mm-hmm. Jesus' heart yeah. for his people, for, mm-hmm. for sinners and sufferers. Yeah. Jesus That's looks on the sheep on the hillside, and he sees harassed and helpless sheep. Right. Who have they been harassed by? And this goes back to Daniel's earlier anxiety over the stigma. stigma religious leaders. The, re- the religious mm-hmm. leaders. Yeah. And so how does a religious leader then break through the stigma that the culture has assigned to us now mm-hmm. to say, hey, I'm not that thing that you... That you, I'm not the prophet here. That's here to damn you. I'm the guy with the life preserver, and I'm jumping in to save you. So, how do we un or destigmatize ourselves in the process? I think, I, I think hospitality can't be understated in this. Great point. I think having the conversation with somebody who's struggling over your dinner table, yeah. right? When you tell them, hey, you need to count the cost of following Jesus, which yeah. means you're not going to have a family, right? Mm-hmm. Come be part of my family, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Be, love my my daughter. Yeah. Care, you know, That's like, right. Like, um, I don't think that can be understated. I think Rosaria Butterfield, um, that was her whole experience right. of conversion from radical feminist, yes. lesbian relationship. She had a pastor bring her into his family and just talk with her and care for her and explain, you know, scripture to her. And she became convinced of, of, of not only the, the truth of what the scripture said, but the reality of God's transforming power in someone's life. And, and so I, I think, but it was, he, they had lots of knockdown drag out discussions. Yeah. Like they had lots of, he didn't (laughs) sacrifice truth ever, but he did it. In the context, like you said, of hospitality yeah. and family, it was, a, it was at his dinner table. Yes, rather than yeah. what's the book that she wrote? The Secret this? Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Uh, right? The gospel yeah. comes with a house key. Is her the gospel comes? Yeah, man. It, so mate, if you're listening, get those yeah, books. They're yeah. fantastic. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but what you're describing is not mere has- hospitality. Practically, there's a hospitality of heart. That yeah. pastor mm-hmm. opened the gospel up his heart. Hospitality. absolutely. Good point. Um, well, moving along, culturally then, the culture is imposing legislatively a top-down, uh, I mean, law. They're, they're equating it, as we said, to, to civil right, a civil rights issue now, which is top-down. 
but it's also grassroots. It's, I mean, we're, we're faced with it on all sides. So then culturally, what do we do? Well, I think we've said before, you preach the gospel. You preach the word, mm-hmm. right? You, you ground your congregation in the word. But then at the same time, what I, what we've asked this before, but what role does apologetics have to play in, in challenging the rationale and pointing out the internal incoherence of the uh, of the movement, we've been doing that at this table for the last few weeks. Actually, yeah, in many ways, we've yeah. done it today. Yeah. We're gonna do it in the worldview class. <laughs> <laughs> in the worldview class, that Daniel's teaching. Plugging that every little plug for that. Uh, <laughs> but listen, that that worldview class is an apologetic for the Christian worldview. Yeah. Yeah. It's an explanation it, of it, and it's to and it's to teach people to engage. Hey, what is I'm not when you when you engage somebody's questions, you're really engaging with their worldview. Yeah. Right? The question comes yeah, out right. of how they are What's a human being? How that's worldview. World. Yeah. Um, and so it's the it's the te- to equip you and equip your kids and equip the church with how do you actively engage with somebody's worldview and identify what yeah. oh, here's where they're operating from. I got to do that this week so I watch this is very practical, but I did with my kids. And speaking of worldview, we're watching the Mandalorian season. Whatever, it's great, enjoying it. And then I, we, my boys like to watch a guy that talks about the episode and all the other mm-hmm. things surrounding it. But his dis, that guy's disposition is tradition is bad. Mm-hmm. Anything that came before needs to be undone, and there's nothing finite. And so he is... Which is why Star Wars... (laughs) (laughs) My my whole point for saying this is he's talking. My boys are young, but I took the opportunity to say he thinks this show is going in the wrong direction for the mere fact that anything came before is not good, and it must change. Wow. Okay, well, that's the worldview. So a Christian apologetics has trained me to pick up on that, just subtle. It's just Star Wars as a manager. Um, but in the moment, again, I had a great discussion with my boys of yeah. why tradition and what came before is not inherently bad. Man, that is great. I've been having discussions with my daughter with certain TV shows and things that are in the culture where it's like, D- D- what, what do you think's wrong here? Yeah, and man, good. she nails it every time. She, she's killing it. Mm. And my son, like when we did the men's breakfast, which was so fantastic, we talked about mentoring and we yeah. talked about, and I and I said to my son, like after Alan's talk, I said, I want to be your mentor. I'm like the other two boys have cut me out, right? Mm. They they've they've cast me aside. They don't want me to be their mentor, but I want to be yours. And he was yeah. like, "We'll okay. see." <laughs> <laughs> but um, but in a, in a way, I'm also that's psychologically my therapeutic for me. All <laughs> but I thought your talk actually for the spiritual disciplines was so important because you you focused on that principle of the vim the vision, the intention, and the means. And you got to give the generation a vision for biblical manhood and womanhood. You got to give them, they have to have the intention to want to learn it, to want to be conformed to God's word. And then the means is the truth, right? So you got to have all that. And also, like you were saying, uh, fellowship, community. I mean, those, those things are also resources. Can I switch here, though, to the gospel? Mm-hmm. Romans 1. If you have your Bible, please turn to Romans 1. Do we have an under... So here's a question. Do we undervalue or have an underestimation of the gospel's power to transform people in culture? It's so easy to want to give people now 
a three-point apologetic for why their rationale is nonsense or incoherent or whatever, and that's certainly appropriate. Critiquing ideas is certainly biblical. What about the gospel? Paul says here in Romans, listen to the wording, verses 16 through 18. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, also to the Greek. For in, the, for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith that is Abraham's faith to faith that is our faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live or be alive by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. So the question here is, what one, what is so powerful about the gospel according to this passage? What does it reveal? What does it cut to the heart to? And two, um, what does Paul say God reveals in the gospel that confronts what we've suppressed? I guess, so what is... What is so powerful about the gospel here that it has the power to transform, that it has the power to mm -hmm. save? Can it save an individual? Can it save a culture? Can it save a community mm -hmm. that's awash in this sort of uh, uh, secular gobbledygook? Yes, yes. I would say I, I understand it. In First, in regards to your question, I understand it first in regards to the individual and that by rebellious sinners coming to know God, coming to understand their true uh, purpose for being created and acknowledging their creator and acknowledging the lordship and the kingship of, of Christ, uh, they then are in right relation uh, to God and able to uh, fulfill that creation mandate and also the gospel um uh, Commission, great commission mandate of Matthew 28, fulfill those things uh, in light of what God created them to. And so that sense, that saving, that, what are we that being salvation, saved yeah, we're, we're being saved from the wrath of God, but we're also being saved and seeing the effects of sin undone, the effects of the curse undone. Yeah. And so that salvation through individuals comes to affect community, or the church, yeah, yeah, the church community, mm -hmm. and then from their culture, and it's a it's a spreading out effect where it's undoing the things of the I, curse. I think what I hear you saying, and I think you're rightly saying it, beginning with the individual and their personal <laughs> eternal destiny, the gospel <laughs> saves everything. Yeah. <laughs> it saves everything. It saves the individual. It redeems families. relationships, yeah. families, cultures. cultures. Yeah. It is medicine, the science. It redeems everything mm -hmm. to yeah. the glory of God. Preach. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just saying, I just feel like we want, you know, you, you'll see the apologetics websites and literature, they're so focused on answering objections or answering, and that has its There's place. No God, Again, yeah. that's good. Paul did that in Acts. But the gospel is the power mm -hmm. to yeah. save the individual, and then from that individual, everything that that individual touches, every relationship, right. every structure, right. every social structure, yeah. your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it 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 liberates us from our. Um, uh, that's not liberates, not the right word. Um, I think because it is God's gospel, 
and not our ingenuity. Yeah. It's God's gospel. It's not our, you know, winsome speech. It's God's gospel. It's not yeah. our ability to, to show hospitality perfectly. It's God's gospel. Um, it, yeah, it does. It liberates us from the burden of having to do it right. Right. Every single time. Yeah. Um, yes, we need to know the gospel. Yes, we can't, we can't, you know, sacrifice any, any points of it. Right. Um, but I, and I do think that there is a distrust, uh, a distrust in the, in the power of the gospel. Right. Yeah. Um, because you get more no's than yeses most of the time. Yeah. Well, that's what he um, goes on to talk about here in verse 24. If you look at verse 24, he says, therefore God delivered them over. That is the people who rejected it. The people who rejected this gospel, yeah. Jew and Gentile alike. Therefore God delivered them over in their desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. It's not that those desires do not exist. It's that he delivered them over to yeah. it, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded. Now, that word degraded, I looked that word up, it means to undignify. Hmm. It means to remove dignity. Yeah. It literally means to, to remove the dignity or the glory hmm. from All that person. was given at creation. All that was given yeah. in Genesis chapter 1. Their bodies were undignified. They became dehumanized in that respect of God's glory. Uh, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiping and serving the creation rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. And so the very thing we see under cultural assault today, right, the degrading, the undignifying, the dehumanization of the human body and sexual perversion, it is the abandonment of heteronormative relationships that is under such great assault. And it's the very thing that Paul says here opens the floodgate now to every imaginable form but it, of rebellion. The, and The hard thing is <clears throat> it's evidence of God's wrath against our culture. Yeah. Right? It's not... Well, what you're is, right about that. It's, it's not what is going to bring God's wrath. He, he gave us up. <laughs> it yeah. is evidence of God's wrath against our it culture. It is God's wrath. Mm-hmm. And, that is, and that's, a difficult, that's a difficult thing to... To embrace sometimes yeah. is yeah. that God has judged us with the very thing that we have demanded from Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I'm going back through the story of First and Second Samuel. It's so clear that God was going to give them a king all along. He promised that actually, in Abraham's promise, He said, "Kings will come from you." Mm-hmm. So yeah. God already told Abraham hundreds of years uh, before David, a thousand years before David. Listen, there, you're going to kings are going to come from you. But in the case of Saul, mm-hmm. who was an illegitimate king. Um, the whole idea there is that the people demanded a king and God judged them by saying, okay, be careful what you wish for. I'll give it to you. Mm. Demanded a king to be like the other nations. Right, to be like Like, the other nations. And so God will judge you with the very thing you demand and you desire and you have to have. And it's in the judgment of that, actually, that is redemption because what comes from that is, Josh, what comes from that? Like after we drink this to its dregs now, to the bottom of the cup, <laughs> bottom of the car- barrel. Where else is there to turn? Hmm. Nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere to go but down. There's yeah. no more down. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, to turn it, we have to turn to Christ, mm-hmm. to some semblance of truth, and like away from fluidity and plasticity to something solid to authority. Yeah. That's right. So. And I think. Yeah, just bringing it full circle, like you're saying, coming back to God. I think that's what you were getting at with that first question, like what is uh, the power of God? Like what is it doing, right? And I think whenever we read that, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, like that language of 
God's power doesn't come, you know, that's why we can't really full circle here, tying back to Andy Stanley. That's why we can't unhitch our lives from the right. Old Testament. That power right. of God language doesn't come to us in a vacuum. It comes to us from all of what the mighty acts of God that he's already done. So that's when right. God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, new life comes about. You know? Well, here so. it is right here. Romans <clears throat> 1, 1, Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which comes from what? which he promised beforehand through the yeah. prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> you can't divorce the gospel from the Scriptures mm-hmm. because that's its, that's yeah. its power, yeah. its context mm-hmm. to transform the life. And this yeah. is why you can go back to stories like the Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel, like we're going to start to do uh, after Easter. You, can't, you can yeah. go back to those stories and you can draw Christian principles, life-giving principles mm. out of those stories because the gospel is in the Word, yeah. and the Word points yeah. to the gospel, mm-hmm. right? And that's what our culture needs. So preachers, preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. Preachers, preach the Word. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? Pray for those you might not naturally like right now. Yeah. You know, and, and those you're seeing in the culture. Jesus said, yeah. pray for those who persecute you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pray for them. And consider, yeah, consider your response. The, a good test is when you see uh, somebody out in the culture who's clearly, clear, clearly, you know, transitioning, trying to transition from right. one sex to the other. What's your response? Yeah, is your is your first response hatred and condemnation and disgust and disgust. revulsion? Now, there's 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 the confusion of the natural order is always yeah, like it elicits yeah. something yeah. But do you then pray that God would give them the grace that He's shown you, yeah. or is it just a I leave it at the you yeah. know at this? So that's yeah, right. We, we plead on God's behalf, be reconciled to yeah. God as primary. Yeah. You don't need to add condemnation for Christ didn't come to condemn. I mean, and, for it, the doesn't, world was and it doesn't even already. mean that you have to go talk to the person. But do you pray? <coughs> God, would you show them the grace that w- was shown to Bingo. me? Yes. Yeah. You know? right. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like you said, in hospitality, show them the grace. Yeah of the good news. Show them the grace of the gospel. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Great Mm -hmm. discussion today. Thank you for your insights, and we'll see you next time on Renew the Mind. (laughs) 